Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Good morning. I was just checking the the hurricane going going by us, already scooted by us, going up on the west side, west coast, um, going by the Baja right now. Looks like it's going to miss everybody, just throwing a lot of rain at us. So that's okay. Anyway, as we are getting ready to get started, I thought we would put in our dad joke for the day. And the joke is... I had a rough day, and then somebody went and ripped the front and back pages from my dictionary. It just goes from bad to worse. <laughs> I think about that for a sec, but yep. All right. Now, I really wanted to try and get back to the uh, Christian bad dad jokes. I had saved the web page, but I don't know what where it is. I went looking for it and couldn't find it. But be that as it may, we will start and look into Isaiah 3 and 4 today. Father, thank you for our time together. We ask you to open up our eyes, open up our minds, and help us to piece this information together sequentially so that we have a full view of the history, but also that we can understand the reasons why you communicate these things to us. So thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. God will remove the leaders, is titled Isaiah 3. For behold, the Lord God of hosts is going to remove from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support, the whole supply of bread and the whole supply of water, the mighty man and the warrior, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50 and the honorable man the counselor and the expert artisan and the skillful enchanter. And I will make mere lads their princes and capricious children will rule over them. And the people will be oppressed, each one by another and each one by his neighbor. The youth will storm against the elder and the inferior against the honorable. When a man lays hold of his brother in his father's house saying, you have a cloak, you shall be our ruler. And these ruins will be under your charge. He will protest on that day, saying, I will not be your healer. For in my house there is neither bread nor cloak. You should not appoint me ruler of the people. For Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen. Because their speech and their actions are against the Lord. To rebel against his gracious presence. The expression of their faces bears witness against them. And they display their sin like Sodom. They do not even conceal it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. Verse 10, say to the righteous that it will go well with them, for they will eat the fruit of their actions. Woe to the wicked, it will go badly with him, for what he deserves will be done to him. O my people, their oppressors are children, and women rule over them. O my people, those who guide you, lead you astray, and confuse the direction of your paths. God will judge. Verse 13, The Lord arises to contend and stands to judge the people. The Lord enters into judgment with the elders and princes of his people. 
It is you who have devoured the vineyard. The plunder of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the face of the poor, declares the Lord God of hosts. Verse 16. Moreover, the Lord said, Because the daughters of Zion are proud and walk with heads held high in seductive eyes and go along with mincing steps and tinkle the bangles of their feet, therefore the Lord will afflict the scalp of the daughters of Zion with scabs, and the Lord will make their foreheads bare. In that day, the Lord will take away the beauty of their anklets, headbands, crescent ornaments, dangling earrings, bracelets, veils, headdresses, ankle chains, sashes, perfume boxes, amulets, finger rings, nose rings, festal robes, outer tunics, cloaks, money, purses, hand mirrors, undergarments, turbans, and veils. Now it will come about that instead of sweet perfume, there will be putrefaction. Instead of a belt, a robe. Instead of well-set hair, a plucked-out scalp. Instead of fine clothes, a donning of sackcloth and branding instead of beauty. Your men will fall by the sword and your mighty ones in battle. And her gates will lament and mourn and deserted she will sit on the ground. So we'll stop there for a minute because there's so much going on here. This is a prophecy about their coming captivity and that Judah had everything to do with it and that those who were leading them were like children and they were not uh, smart enough to really un- see the obvious that to obey is better than sacrifice, as we got in yesterday. The guy says, I don't receive or respect your, your sacrifices because there's no heart. There's no identification of sin. There's no, there's no brokenness. So these leaders were, were all about what the kings of the pagan countries were like, and they just wanted money and power, position, and they were rejecting really following after Yahweh. So he says, we're all going to go into captivity. Interesting, though, he does say that those who are righteous, it will go well with them. Those that are wicked, it won't. And we do see situations like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, righteous before God, and how well they're treated and educated and utilized there. And even Ezekiel later, even though he's not in the palace, he is uh, by the river, and he's able to have a life. It seems like he's able to have a house and be able to farm, and he's not in a dungeon or anything. He's not a slave working in a mine. He's able to, to sit there <laughs> for days on end and prophesy. So there was, there's a lot of things going on. Um, Babylon was known for, for actually being good to those that they saw value in that were educated, people they could utilize. Now, this whole thing about, this um, children will become your leaders or would be put in, in, your, in your charge. It's been said that this also is forward-looking, not just about them going into captivity and when they come back, but also prophetically in the end times, that when the world global government will be coming on the scene, which is happening now, that the leaders of the nations will be as if like children in their ability to really lead, and there's been a few prophecy teachers that go, mm, yeah, it seems like we're there now, and kind of uh, tongue-in-cheek a little bit, but saying that's kind of how these world leaders look. We've got to, 
we've got some men in power in some of the most powerful positions in the world that really act like children, don't they? And they seem to have no real concept of how to run anything. It's, it's quite astounding. So anyway, prophecy near and far again, Judah is going to pay corporately for their sin. This is after Josiah and everything he did that was so good. And the reforms and rebuilding and the temple and all this stuff. And, uh, and this is why I mentioned on Wednesday that individually, God was going to take those righteous people away, but preserve them. And they're even, cur- they're even encouraged by the prophets to go and plant vineyards and work the land and accept their punishment. And that if they go willingly and not resist, that they'll be okay. And they'll come back 70 years later. Those that do, I mean, are treated eh, as well as could be treated as a conquered people, I guess. Chapter 4 now. For seven women will take hold of one man in that day, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. In that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth will be the pride of the adornment of the survivors of Israel. It will come about that he who is left in Zion will remain in Jerusalem, will be called holy. Everyone who is recorded for life in Jerusalem, when the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the bloodshed from Jerusalem and from her midst by the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning, then the Lord will create over the whole area of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day, even smoke, and the brightness of the flaming fire by night, and over all the glory will be a canopy. There will be a shelter to give shade from the heat of the day, a refuge and protection from the storm and rain. So very, very forward-looking. It would seem it may be the immediate judgment, and those because so many men are killed in the battle uh, when they're attacked. And, of course, there's at least three deportations to Babylon. And the city was burned, so many, many, many men died. So they're in captivity. There may be this issue where the women take hold of one man because there are no other men, and they needed to have a husband to bear children and to have a name. and to, to That was what their culture was all about, and have an inheritance, etc. So that may be what it's referring to, but also futuristic people see this as also something that's kind of referencing the tribulation. Uh, and then on into the millennium, we're going to see this amazing protection that comes upon it and um, re kind of a, a, a revisiting of the cloud that was over the children of Israel that gave them shade by day and the pillar of fire, which gave them warmth and protection by night. This whole idea that God's going to be completely their covering in the, the last days. Second Corinthians 12 now, Paul's vision. Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or out of the body, I do not know. God knows such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except in regard to my weakness. 
For if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this, so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. Verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, when I'm weak, then I am strong. I have become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been commended by you, for in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. For in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not become a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. Here, for this third time, I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden to you. For I do not seek what is yours, but you. For children are not responsible to save their parents, but their parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But be that as it may, I did not burden you myself. Nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, I took you by deceit. Certainly, I have not taken advantage of you through any of those whom I have sent to you, have I? I urged Titus to go, and I sent the brother with him. Titus did not take any advantage of you, did he? Did we not conduct ourselves in the same spirit and walk in the same steps? All this time, you have been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. Actually, it is the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all of your upbuilding, beloved. For I am afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to be not what I wished and may be found by you to be not what you wish, that perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, anger, tempers, disputes, slanders, gossips, arrogance, disturbances. I am afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you, and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity, immorality, sensuality which they have practiced. If you just took out church and, and, and put family, or just change the theme, I should say it probably a better way. This sounds exactly like a father who's coming home to a family, just a regular family, a wife and kids and stuff, who loves them and has been away. And he's heard about what's going on, the fighting between the brothers and the sisters in the family. And he he talks to them as a father. He says, you know, it's not your responsibility to, to take care of me. It's mine to take care of you. And he was their spiritual father. And so you see his love here is very sincere for them. And he, he wants them to know that just because he's weak outwardly and he has this physical ailment, what I think most rational theologians think was a physical ailment, unless you're really into the health and wealth stuff, everybody wants to spiritualize that away. But it seems like he had a, an eye disease, it was something left over from malaria. He had something that made him dependent upon others for various situations, obviously people to write for him 
and uh, maybe give him medicine, maybe even uh, lead him around a little bit if he couldn't see real well. We're not sure whether nearsighted or farsighted, but whatever the case is, he's, he's got to tell him, I'm not, I'm not the least of any of these other apostles, which you've been hearing that I am. I've performed all the signs. I've done all the stuff. My only desire was to come and bless you. And, and for that reason, I didn't even ask for an offering, really, for you guys to, to financially watch out for me. And he, he's, I, I caused this deceit or, you know, I did wrong by, by not holding you more responsible. And, uh, and I don't know. He, he uses a lot of, I think, uh, irony here. Uh, I think it's interesting the way he writes to them and the whole kind of attitude that he has. He's, he's gives them some backhanded compliments. As like, yeah, okay. They should feel busted. They should feel bad that they ever question his apostleship. Is kind of what I'm saying. And he goes, maybe if I was harder on you, you guys would think I was a real apostle or something. But I didn't. And uh, I treated you lovingly like a loving father. And he says, and then, and then what's interesting, he says, you know, and here's some more proof, by the way, of my apostleship. <laughs> this would work on me. By the way, 14 years ago, I'm not sure if I was dead, really, in a vision, or I was bodily taken up into heaven, but I was there, and I saw it. I was there. God took me up and showed me heaven. And, of course, we get a little bit more writing on this by Paul, but, man. he And then he does all the signs and wonders, and so you, you have to admit that Paul didn't want to do it, uh, he mentions that, kind of brings that up a lot. He says, I, I don't want to do this, but I need to do it to let you guys know that the truth that I'm sharing with you is the real truth and to not listen to these false teachers. And I appreciate that very much because there's so many false teachers around today. And now we have the pop pastors on YouTube and online that have huge followings and they're saying the most unbiblical stuff. Just completely off the wall on biblical stuff. I could go off on a tangent on that, but I won't. Stay focused and stay biblical. Accept the truth from what you read in the Bible, and that's why we read it every day together, and not some um, pop culture pastor who has his own agenda, who does like the money and the fame and the people. All right, continuing on with Charles Spurgeon. A bruised reed shall not break. And the smoking flax he shall not quench. Isaiah 42.3 Then I may reckon upon tender treatment from the Lord. Indeed, I feel myself to be at best as weak as pliant, as worthless as a reed. Someone said, I don't care a rush for you. And the speech, though unkind, was not untrue. Alas, I am worse than a reed when it grows by the river. For that at least can hold up its head. I am bruised sorely. Sadly, bruised, there is no music in me now. There is no rift that lets out all my melody. Ah, me. Yet Jesus will not break me. And if he will not, then I mind little what others try to do. O oh, sweet and compassionate Lord, I nestle down beneath thy protection and forget my bruises. Truly, I am also fit to be likened to the smoking flax, whose light is gone and only its smoke remains. I fear that. I am rather a nuisance than a benefit. My fears tell me that the devil has blown out my light and let me an obnoxious smoke, and that my Lord will soon 
put an extinguisher on me. Yet I perceived that though there were snuffers under the law, there were no extinguishers. And Jesus will not quench me. Therefore, I am hopeful. Lord, kindle me anew. Cause me to shine forth to thy glory and to the extolling of thy tenderness. I love that. Now that is real, powerful poetry and truth put to pen there. Uh, It is Charles Spurgeon expressing the heart that he had that was just like Paul. Notice that he is boasting in his weakness. I am uh, smoking flax. (laughs) I'm a bruised reed. Paul was, was really saying that when he says, hey, I'll boast in, my, in my, my weakness. I prayed for God to take this away. I have this illness. I'm a bruised reed. So therefore, I'll just glorify in my weakness, and I'll trust that God will rekindle me. I like the fact that we are not, cannot be extinguished. We can be snuffed. So we're just smoking. There's still an ember there that, that still can be fanned the fire of the Holy Spirit back in us. But, so, but and that's usually usually that snuffing out can be start with the enemy trying to get trying to, to pull us down, but we often add to it, don't we? In our and we get the attitude that we, there is nothing nothing left in me. But Charles Spurgeon is saying, Yeah, but if God says he can work with that, that he will not extinguish you, even though you're you're a bruised reed, uh, a smoldering ember, whatever it is if he's not going to extinguish you but wants to fan that back to flame or fortify you and re, rebuild you, um, then n- no one else can touch you and that you can come back, that God wants you to come back. That is something to be very, very uh, thankful for and rejoicing over, for sure. So, Father, we do thank you for that, and we thank you for your promises that are new every morning and that you have great and wonderful things in store for us. So we wait upon you, God, and we trust you. And we may have physical ailments, God, and we may have things that we are weak in. I certainly rejoice that you are glorified in my weakness all the time, and I, I, I am amazed that you get the glory. And I pray that you continue to do that in our church and that we become we continue to be and become more and more thankful for our inabilities so that we see you working through them and all the glory is brought to you. Father, we want to pray for those that are going through a lot of difficulties and feeling beat down for the number of people that have um, been hurt emotionally, have gone through so much in their life, and they feel not very worthy, not very useful, but they are. Because you you love them as they are, and you want to use them. You used Paul. You used even those in Israel that were being taken away into captivity and had everything destroyed and taken away from them. But still, if they remained faithful, you lifted them up and you protected them. So we pray for that. For everyone listening today, we pray for anyone new coming uh, alongside us, God, that you would bless them abundantly and that you would touch those that need healing this morning, and that you would, God, in, um, help us to go deeper in our walk with you by your word. We thank you for those that are getting jobs and are um, getting new homes to live in, different things like that. We, we want to take a, a very positive approach, God, knowing that you are working 
with everyone who's been praying daily for these needs, for these provisions, because you did say that you would, you would supply our every need, Father. So we're praying for the needs of the families looking to relocate, looking for permanent jobs, uh, and, and just looking for stability. We pray for that, God. We do pray for those that are, that are in the, the war-torn Christians uh, the, that are dealing with so much right now. Those in the Muslim nations, some of my brothers have been attacked and are in hospitals because of simply being Christians. So we pray for them, for their healing, for their recuperation. and pray that you make the church stronger, God, because of this. So thank you for this day, God. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, there we go. So we will catch you again tomorrow. God bless you guys. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.